In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We have magnificent scriptures to absorb today and to celebrate in this feast of thanksgiving, which is our Eucharist. They are lessons that I think teach us three things very well. One is the expansiveness of grace. Uh, the grace of God embraces all, is expansive. They also teach the power of faith. There is an effectiveness to belief in a cooperation with God's power. And they teach us the fulfillment of a life of thanksgiving. There is something that completes our life when we learn the discipline and the attitude of thanksgiving. So our uh, main characters, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, are people that are sick. The leprosy that has always been with humanity takes a prominent place in these stories of healing in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. There are all kinds of skin diseases that were sort of lumped under the main category of leprosy. But I think principally because these diseases are visible, they carried with them kind of an extra stigma and they promoted fear among the, uh, the culture, the, the society. So we see in the stories of Jesus that the lepers lived outside the city, cut off from their family, from the work that was theirs, from their support system, and sort of uh, existed, survived the best that they could apart from those conditions of support and strength. Even the law of Moses from, from uh, a thousand years, uh, two thousand years earlier had indicated the code of how to operate uh, when you had leprosy. The priest was involved in uh, making the diagnosis that the skin disorder was something that should separate these people from, from society. And the priest was also involved in examining the skin when there was a, a report of a healing to be able to let the people come back and be uh, part of their life again. Um, so we have a story of desperate folks. We have people that are cut off. In the case of the Second King story, you have somebody from Syria, from the uh, Aramean culture, from the land of Aram. Uh, near the great rivers uh, of the Abana and the Parfar. And there is one who is not cut off from society, but in fact functions uh, as one of the generals of a great army. Now he has this disease as well, and people are scrambling to see what they can do to save him. But let's go back to the story of Jesus first. When ten lepers approached Jesus, 
they are well aware of what is expected of them, to call out before they get near someone, to warn them that they are unclean. But instead of the customary greeting of unclean, unclean, I think that these ten were moved to cry out from the depths of their soul and to, and to cry, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. There's something about this desperation that worked its way into the hearts of the praying community for centuries. The great Greek repeated, the Eastern Orthodox repeated prayer comes largely from this cry. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So some of the language of that is on the lips of these ten lepers. Interestingly, they cry out Jesus, a name that means God heals. Now when we say Jesus Savior, we're really doubling up on the meaning. Savior means one who heals, one who brings the salve required to bring wholeness to life. Jesus is a name that means God heals. They say master because in their desperation they're willing to fall before him, to do what he says to do, to fall in line humbly before what he says to do. They say, have mercy on me. Have mercy. Whenever we use the Kyrie in the liturgy, we are saying it boldly as if we're addressing the one who can help. Have mercy on us. It's a humble phrase, but it's said with strength, with pleading. So these desperate ones are crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus tells them to get up and go show themselves to the priest. Now this would ordinarily be done when somebody has claims of having been healed and they'd go and see if they can get release to come back. On their way to the priest, which is what the law of Moses would dictate them to do, to get there. They look and their skin is made clean. Nine of them, those Jews, those fellow Jews of Jesus, with Jesus, stay on their way dutifully, doing exactly what Jesus told them. But one of them, a Samaritan, very profoundly, favorably, goes against what he was told to do. Moved by the healing, he turns instead and goes as if to say, I'm just reading it this way, there's another priest to whom I can go, and he goes to this other priest, Jesus. He's caught up in the marvel of, of what has happened to him. And the text says that he does 
three things. He thanks God with a loud voice. He gives praise to God. He falls prostrate before Jesus at his feet. And he thanks God. Now even, uh, even Episcopalians sometimes shout with a loud voice to praise God. Didn't we do it in the first hymn today? Weren't you a little bit caught up when we came to the last verse and there was a descant that pulled us fully into it? Didn't we join the faithful through the ages like the psalm uh, told us to do right off? I will give thanks to the Lord with all my being. Yes, we're a little calm sometimes, we Episcopalians, but we even have our occasions when the giving of thanks is something that we do with our whole heart. And I think you do this when you come to this feast of thanksgiving. I think you do this when you get caught into the hymns of praise that we deliver here, that we offer, that we share. I think you do this when you join the whole congregation in making plans to give to God, to the work of God here in your pledges that you make. That these are acts of thanksgiving. We may not be as demonstrative as this Samaritan shouting aloud prostrating ourselves before Jesus, but don't we in all the ways that we demonstrate with our singing, with our tithing, with our work of, of ministry, don't we in fact demonstrate out loud that we are thankful to God? We are asserting that we understand that in believing there is the power of faith. That it makes a difference in the world and it makes a difference in our lives. We recognize the expansive grace of God. We have been included, even us. And we can't help but give thanks. And that brings us to this fulfillment that comes in our habit of giving thanks, however it comes into our experience. I think that sometimes the giving of thanks is when we receive thanks. Even just a moment when you recognize something beautiful in your own garden or on the horizon in the sunset or witnessing something beautiful that happens with people, helping people, and it captures you, and you give thanks for that moment. You've been given a moment of beauty. I think we also give thanks when we find ourselves able to give. Isn't that the case sometimes, that you feel most pulled up in strength when you serve somebody else. When you have a chance to say, let me do this, let me sacrifice of my time and my effort, 
I'm happy to do this. These are moments of thanksgiving. These make your life a life of gratitude. Now this is almost a postscript, so I want to hurry up and get this in. You know, the case of these poor ten who were ostracized and desperately crying for help is a little bit different than the experience of this man from the land of uh, Aram. He's in a place of power. So we have this expansiveness of grace that takes all in, that includes all in the grace of God. In this case, the king of Aram, valuing this general who has leprosy, writes a letter to the king of Israel because he's heard from one of his captives that there is a prophet in Israel, a Samaritan really, who has the power to pray that God's power would heal. And so in this letter, the king of Israel reads the letter and says, what are you trying to do? Set me up? This is horrible. And he tears his clothes and somebody stops him. Well, it's the prophet himself who says, why are you tearing your clothes? I got this. He says, tell him to go wash in the Jordan. That has all kinds of parts of the salvation history in it. Go wash in the Jordan. Well, this man who's from the northern lands in Damascus says, the Jordan? Well, why, why didn't he come here? Why didn't he call on his God dramatically? Why didn't he send me to to wash in the Parfar River. That's a grander one. In the Abana River. Now that's a river. If he were from here, he'd say, Buffalo Bayou? Why is he sending me to Buffalo Bayou? What about the Trinity? What, what about the Brazos? But no, this is how it goes. One of his servants straightens him out and says, He's asking you to do something that's doable. Go do it. And he does it. And he's made well. So all of us have this chance to participate in the grand healing power of God. When we recognize that God's grace reaches out to us and includes us even when we haven't included ourselves in God's love or in God's grace, God has included us anyway. And if we will believe that, there is the power for new strength and healing in our own lives from Jesus, Master, who has mercy upon us. And we will begin to give back to God and to one another in the fulfilling offering of a life of grateful praise. Amen.